back to class, everybody. I am Ethan, the host of the Weebology podcast, along with my amazingly beautiful um, coming out of the void friend, Ricky. Uh, um, hopefully he's doing good over there in our social distancing. But today is another extra credit episode. Um, this week, we are obviously talking about Gleipnir and Tower of God, and I have the pleasure, perhaps, of talking about Gleipnir Episode 6. So, um, I'm sure you could tell from my last review in Episode 5 that I was pretty much not a fan, and uh, that I thought it was boring, and like other than the one super cool fight with Demon Skull from Yu-Gi-Oh!, like, I thought it was pretty much a weak episode. Well, this one is another one of those episodes where they're just building on stuff. And they're trying to, like, I guess, start building the plot. Which, like, it's hard to say after six episodes. You don't really know what's going on. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of where we <laughs> we sit. So, it starts off with a, a future leap, which is super freaking weird. It shows you, like, the ending of what's going to happen. And then it goes in the rest of the episode shows you what happens beforehand, which really, really stupid. I don't like that strategy whatsoever. I would say you can start with a flashback, I guess. But it seems like every episode starts like this happened. Okay, five days earlier, this happened or a couple hours earlier, you know, that kind of shit. Um, Not a massive fan of that. Um but in general, I'll just kind of explain some of the main parts of what happened this episode. Then maybe what I didn't like about it, what I did like about it, whatever. So this episode, our main man, Shuichi, and Claire are basically, they're looking through that bad monster's phone that uh, Demon Skull guy killed out in the mountains. Remember when they were battling, that dude came up to blackmail him in the end? Well, he's been blackmailing a shitload of people. And so they take that phone and they start going down the list in his contacts or whatever because they have the pictures of all these people and basically finding them and saying, look, we know you're part of a group. Let us join Um, for some reason. (laughs) Uh, I think basically their goal here is to not really have to do it all alone, which I can understand a little bit, but, you know, when they add all, they start going after all these people that are being blackmailed. Like I just don't really understand how they thought that was gonna like work super well for them. Um, generally, people that are getting blackmailed are not, you know, the most trusting of people, right? Um, but of course, this group has a way to deal with that. So, uh, okay, there's a group of people. The guy that is being blackmailed who can turn into a big camera boy which is really, really not cool at all. Uh, picture the guy from the first episode of season four of My Hero Academia where he can put cameras all over his body, but this guy's ability is just one big-ass fucking camera for his head or a telescope, perhaps. Um, and there's a lolly that's can that grew cat ears because she wanted to be able to communicate with animals. That was her wish. Um, there is... A Wookiee looking mother dunker. There is like a really like one of those hot guys from Shoujo you would see. There's like this <laughs> this like 
perverted uh, BDSM chick as well. She's like wearing nothing but a bra and like chaps. <laughs> like, like where do they come up with this shit? Honestly, um, and there's a couple other like characters that didn't mean anything to me at all. So uh, basically, this whole episode is really them trying to make a pact with this new group to get you know information on Elena and the evil watchers which is like the f- the first scene in the episode says you know it's it's a group meeting between the other group talking about like well, we're not as strong as the evil watchers so we need to add people basically as like a like a excuse for adding these complete you know outsider noobs that they don't know about at all right um and so Claire is given this kind of ultimatum at one point when they when they find out there's two of them there's Claire and then there's also Shuichi uh she basically says you'd have to make a pact with our group if you ever if you want to join it and so what Claire ends up doing is she says okay I'll enter the pact and Shuichi won't until you know I know you guys are trustworthy whatever so uh main BDSM chick brings her back into the you know a back room gets naked of course like like this show literally can't do anything other than get girls naked and uh (laughs) she makes Claire lie down on a bed and then climbs on top of her and starts rubbing her of course right like like what did you expect like episode one had Chuichi going down you know trying to get into Claire's panties and now you know I don't even know this girl's name, to be honest with you. A uh, BDSM girl is just straight up naked on top of Claire, and she's like basically saying, "This is, you know, part of the trial or part of the, you know, pact you have to make." And uh, you know, Claire's making all these like weird, awkward statements about, uh, you know, love is love and all this stuff. It's just like such a weird ass episode, and like I don't get what they're trying to do with the show, like at all. I think. I'm honestly starting to turn the corner on it and, like, thinking it's not good. I think the mystery is kind of, like, I honestly don't give a fuck anymore. And it's almost like they're just trying to do, like, as much, um, like, harem, etchy type shit as they can possibly do. But Shuichi, our boy, does actually get uh, another addition to his harem. Um, He's got more naked chicks inside of him this episode. So that's pretty lit. Um, no, so that, uh, little <laughs> lowly, uh, cat girl, this, uh, is basically really interested in animals, loves animals, whatever, and asks Shuichi if she can pet him while he's in his costume form, and so he lets her, but he's like, yo, I'm not an animal, uh, you know, like, chill out, and so she's petting him, and he likes it, whatever, because I guess he feels like he's a dog, um, and then there's, like, a lot of scenes about, you know, petting, heavy petting, (laughs) Um, and then she says she lost her wallet, and he basically, since it comes out that he can, you know, use his dog senses to go find people and stuff like that, he decides to go find her wallet for her, kind of with her, and so they're kind of walking around, and he says, look, you're slow, and, you know, your your sense kind of getting in the way and messing with me finding your wallet, um i'm gonna go ahead alone and she goes no let me get inside of you that way the smell won't carry and um you know basically you won't have to be limited by my you know frame or you know physical abilities 
which is like the most thinly veiled bullshit plot line ever. I don't know. Like, what are they smoking? I just really don't understand what they like. This is like dead ass, just softcore, you know, hentai, honestly, at this point, because she gets completely naked, gets inside of him. He's like, you know, obviously got these blush marks and all embarrassed the whole time. And now it's like the second girl inside of him. <laughs> and it's just like like insane. And, and then uh, the guy that they talked to originally, that blackmail boy, he's like watching them with his telescope head the entire time. And he's like, don't do it, don't do it. So he's like clearly into this, you know, fucking animal check. Um, and uh, so like... I don't know. It's like obviously they're just setting up. Like Claire's gonna be mad because he let another girl inside of him, and then this dude's gonna do some shady shit at some point because Shuichi and Cat Girl are like into each other. I don't know. It's just like really kind of a boring story plot. Like really, really see through at this point. Um, we did learn a little bit more about the aliens' powers and like how you are bestowed them, etc., which was kind of cool. So we learned BDSM Chick's backstory. Apparently, she fell in love with a female teacher, and she told her um, she told her best friend about it. The best friend snitched. That teacher got fired and killed herself. And then you know now BDSM Chick is just like super against anyone that doesn't or that uh, basically doesn't keep their word or will tell you know people's secrets. So that's kind of like the big, um, the packed thing that this whole group is going through. And like their whole, um, I guess their mantra is really just like, you know, don't tell each other's secrets and shit like that. So, you know, I mean, whatever, right? But uh, her ability apparently is to make um, like a necklace choker out of her hair that you can, that'll basically, they can place around it and, and, you know, fasten it, and then it, like, melds into your skin, and then if you do tell, um, tell a secret, or you betray the group, it'll, like, choke your windpipe, and you'll die, which, like, pretty cool, I guess, in, in some regards, but also just, like, a really, like, I guess, anti-battle power type move, um, which, you know, whatever, she didn't mention that in the beginning, like, they're not as strong as the evil gatherer group, so it does make sense, um, but one thing that's interesting is she says, you know, if you go to the alien guy with a very specific power in mind, and, like, you visualize it, you can literally direct that and make that happen, but, like, the people like, um, obviously Shuichi, but, um, cat ear girl, she just wanted to understand animals or something, and so, alien guy kind of effed her over with the cat ears um or uh camera guy they didn't explain what he wanted but um obviously he had like only a vague idea of of like some desire that he wanted or you know a subconscious desire that is manifested via their powers so like you know that i feel like if they were to, to emphasize the power system and kind of like how you get them how you can control that kind of stuff or maybe, like, the more coins you get, you can, like, continually refine your power by, like, now that you know this is how it works, start refining it um, and, like, specifically visualizing what you're talking about. But uh, I, I don't know. I think they're getting really, really lost in the weeds with all this, like, this softcore hentai stuff. Um, 
and like it was okay for a couple episodes, but you know, it's basically, you know, last episode wasn't that bad in regards to it, but this episode is just like kind of out of hand, like straight up essentially rape, um, with, with a BDSM girl, just like getting on top of Claire and rubbing her all over the place. And then now we got like lowly cat girl getting inside of him naked, like completely naked. And so like, you know, it went from bad to worse in terms of the, uh, the etchy, um, I guess, density. Let's say etchy density is going to be my new scale for, uh, you know, any type of show like this. Um, anyway, very high etchy density. But, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know, man. Like, should you continue watching? That's a phenomenal question, you know, ethereal person that just asked that. Um, I'm going to because I have a podcast. Uh, so if that tells you anything, uh, no, I mean... I probably would not continue, to be honest with you, if this was not for a podcast. Um, It's like, I don't know. It's not that it's too much for me, like the etchy stuff. It's just like, they're obviously masking like a pretty, I don't know if weak story is what I want to say, but like a very slow moving, no, it's weak. It's a fucking weak story. I'm not even going to lie. I'm not even going to sugarcoat it either. I think so far, you know, the first four episodes, I think we're good. Episode five was good for 10 minutes, and then I think episode six was complete garbage. Um, other than, I would say there's like two or three minutes where they started explaining some of their powers and stuff like that, and like how that happened, um, that I thought were pretty valuable and good, you know. I don't know, maybe I'm just like too much of a shonen schmuck, and like I'm kind of expecting more uh, exposition and progression in the story, and maybe this like just isn't it. <laughs> Like, it's, like, marketed as a mystery, and to be honest, I don't even know what the mystery is right now, so, um, other than, like, the one thing is, like, why the hell did Elena make Shuichi into dog suit, other than because she said she wanted to be inside of him, like, that was literally it, so, I don't know, man, not a super, super fan so far, I was like, this episode was, like, maybe, uh, low 60s 63 maybe um in terms of you know out of 100 uh bdsm chicks uh yeah so ah, i mean obviously keep watching along if you want to you know keep hearing our thoughts and see if you agree with me um you know i really wish i was loving this show as as much as i thought i might from you know the beginning but uh yeah, just kind of weak so far, but yeah, I just wanted to um, kind of throw out this video and obviously podcast for you listening, and yeah, so we also have obviously Tower of God episode six coming up with Ricky Wright Meow, um, very good so far, I am loving Tower of God, wish I had picked that show instead of uh, Gleipnir at this point, but um, without further ado, I'll just throw you on over there, you don't want to keep hearing from me whining about this show, you know, talking about all these super hot naked chicks getting inside of dudes, right, (laughs) yeah, yeah, anywho, I will see you fudging later, Ricky, hope you're doing well, bud, um, yeah, go, leave, stop listening to me, Ricky, it's your turn, go, Welcome back, my beautiful, beautiful students, to this extra credit of Webology podcast. I am your late Professor Ricky. This is 
real deep into a Wednesday night. Ethan, I 100% apologize. Uh, work today has been kind of insane. Uh, code being slung left and right, and it has been a very, uh, very stressful day. You know, it's not necessarily void level of stressful, but you know, I have, uh, I've been brought into the light by Tower of God, episode six, and we get a lot of extra information here. But again, they turn up the subtlety, and I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but they really make a uh, a good case for storytelling in this particular episode. Was it my favorite of the six I've seen so far? No, for a very specific reason. The first reason, actually, where we start at the beginning of this episode is Rachel has come to Bomb's room while he's in a comatose state, and he tells Kuhn something I didn't exactly want to hear. She tells him that, I don't want Bomb to know who I am. Please lie for me. That I am not Rachel. I'm not that person. This pissed me off. This pissed me off because Bomb has almost exclusively fought just to find Rachel again. And now that he finally has, she's like, no, screw you. We can't know each other in this tower. So it brought up a lot of questions for me. That particular scene, that, that first scene, is the, is the climb of the tower, or rather what's at the top, so important to Rachel that she is unwilling to let Bomb know that, yes, I am me? Turns out it doesn't exactly work, because Bomb is not dumb. Like, he's uh, been led on to be, while maybe weak within the context of the battle aspect of the tower, he's a pretty savvy dude. and. It's not really a savvy move to know that, hey, that girl is Rachel. Oh, she told me she wasn't? No, that's, that's Rachel. So he brings up a lot of internal questions that I, I too, had. Like, is it really? He, he, even, he even says, do you really want to see the stars that bad? That translates to me. Do you really want the reward at the top of this tower so bad you aren't willing to... Uh, be cohorts with me. You aren't even willing to acknowledge that we know each other. Um, but that also leads me to another question. She specifically seems to be doing this after the episode we learned that the rule states that you can't be acquaintances in the same tower, as in you can't know each other before. Is she savvy to this rule and then is playing along accordingly? What does she know? I said that about the other team about why they're protecting Bond and all that, and uh, you know what, what's their angle. But my gaze has been focused on Rachel. What does she know? She specifically seems to be playing along with the rules of the tower, and you wouldn't be able to do so in a very specific way without knowing the rules of the tower. So I think she's going to have a very interesting turn later in the season. We're going to find out some stuff about her that I, th I think is going to be pretty savvy so bum wakes up after rock rack actually being this 100 percent sundere a sunda lizard if you will because he is intently looking in on bomb's room hoping he wakes up and he even says the line it's not like i'm worried about the black turtle or anything but babaka you know he didn't actually say that last part but he had that energy it's 100 percent that energy so he wakes up 
he's freaking out. How long have I been out? Am I still good to climb this tower? And Kuhn tells him, yeah, man, you're cool. You're cool. Because hear how it's going to go down from here on out. Kuhn and Rack went to uh, a meeting while Bomb was incapacitated in a comatose state. And they find out about the rest of the tower climb. And they were told by none other than our boy, Leo Rio, that you climb in five-man teams from here on out. And you have to be tested to make it into one of these five categories. And essentially, as this episode's title suggests, position selection, this episode we find out about what the rest of the tower climb seems to look like. And there are five positions on this team, and you take a test that's specific to a position to see if you qualify, to fulfill that position, as Leo Rio put it. And the positions break down as thus. The top one is fisherman. This is your berserker, your tank, your frontline melee fighter. And we heard fisherman earlier in this episode because none other than Yuri Jihad, the princess who gave the Black March to Bomb, was considered the genius fisherman and was chosen by the king of the tower. Let it be known that these princesses of Jihad are chosen. They are not born. They are not made. They are chosen. And we find out more specifically uh, a criteria of why they would be chosen later, but we'll get to that in a second. The next position is spear bearer, someone who's kind of a long range fighter. And you know, our boy racks going after that position. Cause you know, he's, he's got that spear game down. He was even practicing in the cafeteria, just his spear throwing. Um, the next one is the light bearer. This is like your reconnaissance member of the team. This member uh, basically goes out and uses uh, information gathering to come back to the team. They're almost as if they're a scout. If there wasn't already a position on the team called scout. <laughs> that Okay, so scout, as it were, is... Supposed to be the assistant to the fisherman. They're the eyes and ears. They're like the they're the frontline reconnaissance. Whereas Lightbearer might be going out and gathering information. Who's on what team? What kind of powers do they have? What's their strength level? What's what what do they got? Um, the scout seems to be paired with the fisherman on the front lines to go do the eyes and ear work, the reconnaissance in the midst of battle. And then the last position, funny enough is called Wave Controller. Now, those of you who have been sticking around for extra credit, one, I applaud you. You are the studious of students. But the Wave Controller has been mentioned numerous times in the last couple of episodes. We have Sleepy Boy Supreme, who was called a Wave Controller by another contestant for his ability to use and control Shinzu. Now, in the context of this team, they're like the director. They are the general. They're the ones that are given the privilege to use Shinzu, and they're also the ones to do the planning or the battle strategies. I don't know. It, it, it almost seems like they'll probably work very closely with their light bearer. They'll work closely maybe with their scout if they get a chance to do so on the battlefield. But the wave controller is the one with the Shinzu game. That's the member of the team that has the privilege of working with Shinzu. So it seems as if the teams we know them now are splitting up soon. Because 
if these individuals are applying for these positions on these teams, that means that they're not going to be sticking necessarily with the team they got to this point with. But you know, this is a shonen. They're gonna have they're gonna have Turtle Team teaming up. I mean, it, they kind of alluded to it because we get to see some of the tests in this. But before we get to that, I want to uh, remind everybody of Bomb's position here. Because if you remember, in the last episode, there was a bet. There was a bet made by uh, Anank, uh, Anak, I think I've been saying that wrong the whole time, A-N-A-A-K, Anak, Anak, I don't know. You know, Fishy Girl, I'm going to go with Fishy Girl. So, Fishy Girl and Bomb make a bet saying that if Bomb can keep the crown and win the bonus challenge, he gets both the Black March and the Green April. But if he cannot meet those win conditions, she gets both weapons. And if you remember last time, the crown game ended with no winner. So, here we are. Her in possession of the Black March. Because technically Bomb didn't, t- didn't win the bet. and bomb lost so he had to give up his black march weapon which i actually really like that because it was the weapon that got him far ish but there we've been alluding to facts and little events up to this point that kind of make me conclude that bomb has a strength all of his own that doesn't require the black march at all i mean the black march didn't necessarily allow him to push through the shinzu wall in that first test in the lobby after the battle royale, he, you know, didn't need it to use that crazy Shinzu move. So it's clear that Bomb has some kind of special ability, and others have called him monsters. Like as a, like others have called him a monster in this tower. So I like the idea that he is stripped of that early advantage because now it's on him to make it work with just himself. Which leads us to the tests. We'll get to Bomb's testing in a bit, but we'll start with the scout. Because we're presented with uh, Shibizu and Hots coming to Bomb's room, you know, and they're saying that they want to be friends. Out of nowhere. I didn't at in the moment know exactly what that meant but it turns out the scout test is making friends what a wholesome what a wholesome test but i guess as an analytic i want to think what necessarily does this mean for the position of scout why is the ability to make friends be social network essentially on almost a business-esque level have to do with being a good scout and fulfilling that position so I'm curious to see how that goes. But we see Rock also later in the Spear Bearer test, which, again, we all knew. We all knew. This man's out here. He's out here with the spear. The man's got to bear it. So the test for that is they have a target way in the distance. I mean, way in the distance. Essentially, it's a simple test for a simple lizard, just like Rock. You hit it, you pass. That's it. And surely enough, not just. Uh, rock passes, but some other dude also passes before him, which 
is kind of, he looks very kind of samurai-esque, samurai yokai kind of look to him. Um but uh I I find him super interesting that extra sp- uh, spear bearer because um the way that they shot that it makes me think that it's possible that Rat could not end up on a team with Kuhn and Mom. Um we do see a little glimpse of the wave controller test though. It's kind of a two-stage thing. Bomb is in the same classroom, and instead of Leo Rio, it's this kind of rice ball monster demon-looking thing teaching their class. And they tell them to, go, to say visual mode, and it opens up that black ball that we've seen a couple of times. You know, It's the thing that told everybody about how much time is left in the Battle Royale, how much time is left in the bonus game, and now it is telling them when they say the words that the instructor says to say, which is make contract with an administrator. And once that is said, Bomb instantly transports to this kind of dark, black, water, nebulous dimension and is staring face-to-face with this megalodon, like almost sea dinosaur-looking thing, five eyes on both sides of his head, super big. And again, you know, it's to Bomb's character that people just take a liking to him, and this creature is no exception. He takes a liking to him, even saying, you smell appetizing. Not appetizing. Was it appealing? Appealing. You know, but, you know, Bomb's looking like a snack to this guy, so he's saying, you know what, I will, in fact, allow you to have the ability to control Shinzu, but he says something very foreboding right after that. This is not necessarily a contract for you. This is a shackle. Now, I wonder what these contracts with administrators mean now, because that one line makes me think this isn't a privilege. This, this isn't necessarily a privilege for you. It's almost a hindrance in some kind of way. There's some kind of negative to controlling Shinzu under the contract of an administrator. We do see later that Bomb very easily seems to control the Shinzu, which, in my opinion, is a very great uh, character development after losing that OP weapon. I mean, he managed to get into the tower at all, thanks to Yuri's help and the Black March, but now it's on him. It's totally on him. So we get to see a little glimpse of what is making Bomb so special, and Exhibit A is... He seems to have this affinity for controlling Shinzu very easily, whereas the horned boy, Ho, H-O-H, I believe his name is, he is having a struggle. He's having a struggling time. He even struggled after making a contract. He made a tough act, you know, as he was talking to Bomb in the classroom, but he goes back to his own room and nearly collapses from exhaustion, which, you know, I I find it interesting uh, that these guys are you know, out here <laughs> making a, a real struggle to actually uh, look tough. But potentially you could be, you know, teammates. I guess not necessarily the wave controllers would be roommate, with teammates with each other, but putting on a brave face makes a lot of sense in a tower climb competition now that we know it's a team-based thing. We get a lot of information this episode, too, about the princesses of Jihad. Um, we are introduced to the uh, high heel girl now has a name uh, in Dorsey. And she, on all accounts, seems to be a real princess of Jihad. 
Whereas Anak is still toted as an imposter. We learn in a scene where everyone's kind of fraternizing in, in the cafeteria, almost a round bomb, which is a really cool, you know, moment. Um that, uh, you know, these princesses are chosen for a very specific reason. They're chosen to represent powerful families or tribes. So you aren't there as a princess on your own behalf. You're there on your families. That's an interesting move. Very Mulan-esque, if you, if you have to ask me. Um, the episode kind of finally ends with... Uh, what looks like the fisherman test, because in the imagery of the fisherman, he is using this uh, kind of needle-like, almost uh, uh, fencing sword-type weapon, very skinny and slender, and they're given a similar-type weapon on these floating platforms that uh, the instructor says, you have a certain time limit to knock everyone off until there's only eight left. Get to it. And... You all saw this coming if you watch this episode. Ionk goes right after Endorsey, and they have this kind of back and forth about how Ionk is this imposter princess, blah, 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 and we get a little glimpse as to why. This is important. Listen up, students, because she mentioned the fact that she is an orphan to her family. She is an orphan to the Ionk family. Now, that's fascinating because the imposter aspect might not necessarily be because she got in on false pretenses or she had some special privileges given by the king. No, it's her family lineage that is her impostorship. Like we said, this princess title is illustrious, obviously, but it's also a representation of the family that you're there to uh, kind of front. You know, you are the representation of the family you come from. So if you, in fact, are an orphan of said family, by a small logical leap, you would then inherently be a poster. A poster. <laughs> an imposter. But why? Why the impostorship? Was there someone else in that family that was supposed to be there? Does Endorsey allude to the family that she, Ayant, came from? Was there someone else supposed to take her place? We see some Ed credit scenes of um, what looks like Ayant and her mother, who are spitting images of each other. So I'm not exactly sure where the hell they get off saying imposter, but here we are. Um, the episode ends with them ready to fucking clash like they're they're ready to go so you know next episode's gonna get hype um but this episode it, it it kind of was like a middle ground for me you know I really didn't like the way they handled Rachel um I wanted her to at least give Bomb some sort of solace you know he just lost the Black March he was comatose for five days he now has to basically jump into a wave controlling role so any kind of solace that says I can't associate with you, but just know I'm here. No, she went flat out, I'm not that person, you have to lie for me. And Kuhn in the cafeteria with him even kind of says, suggests that she is in fact Rachel. Why do you think that she wouldn't want to be with you right now? And he tells him to get stronger. 
So Coons, Coons, while I like Rack as the best character, Coons kind of uh, stacking up to be best boy. He's kind of being our our OG, the Sam to Bombs Frodo. So you know, I'm I'm really curious to see where they go from here. The addition of these positions are is a really cool, very shonen addition. Um, I like the idea that it's possible that these teams could mix up, and there's gonna have to be a moment where they all have to learn to sync with each other to if all five of them want to rise through the tower. Um and I uh I'm I'm curious this whole princess thing. They've they've kind of started to drop a lot more details about what does it take to be a princess, what are the prerequisites, what what does it mean to be an imposter according to this endorsey chick. Um but uh yeah, I guess uh final final marks, some cool scenes. Um Ionk actually used in the uh, fisherman test uh, some Shinzu enhancement. Very Hunter x Hunter. I like that. Using Shinzu to amp your physical abilities. That's, you know, mm, classic shonen stuff. But the, the way they animated it was very good. Not too much Sakuga in this episode, but it definitely uh, had its moments. Um, uh, I, I can't get over the fact that uh, Rack went full Sundere. We all knew it. All the fans knew it. We knew he was this Sundere lizard boy, you know, Sunda lizard. But he uh he kind of really laid it out there with that whole line about it's not like I was actually caring or anything but um uh, so I uh this one definitely seems like an informational jumping off point this is this is an exposition episode you know they kind of uh hit it behind test hit it behind fights here and there um but I I'm liking the direction it's going still this is a really interesting uh concept they ha- are dropping new mechanics here and there but they never feel like they're over uh done or they're kind of uh shoehorned in i guess is a good way to put it they never really feel like they shouldn't be there and yet they're putting them there everything feels natural and i really really like that so if i had to rate this one i'm gonna give this one a flat 80 same as same as kind of the og i mean it's it was good it had a good exposition it wasn't as good as the others in the past maybe i'm a battle nut who cares but um, they, uh, they definitely are using this episode to get us to, uh, be aware of what they're setting up. They're setting up some really cool things. So I'm excited for the rest of the series. Uh, we're kind of at the halfway point of this season, unless it goes 24. I didn't actually look up if it did, but here we are. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for listening. Um, if you want to listen with your eyes and not ears, check us out on YouTube. Hey, YouTube gang, what's good? Um, thank you for coming back. I know. You've been seeing some uh, reactions of me with the the video down here, and I uh, we really like this format of you know watching it and then immediately reacting and then talking about it right after. It makes for a nice you know back and forth. So uh, I hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I enjoy creating it. So if you want to listen to adjust your ears, just that audio content, go to Spotify, Apple, Google, Castbox, Stitcher, or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. If you want to check us out on Instagram, at webology.podcast, we got memes on memes on news. They have been obviously pandemic heavy because that is kind of what everyone's talking about right now. And I'll tell you what, there is some serious anime COVID memes on the internet. So we are just going to bleed that dry and feed them right to y'all students. So um, if you want to check us out on Twitter, at WebologyP, Ethan wants to change that name, but I don't because I really like it. And if you want to drop us a line, something we should be watching for the main podcast, or when this inevitably ends, the extra credit 
what should we watch next? Hit us up on webologypodcast at gmail.com. We will try to add you to the stack and we will be watching hopefully everything everyone suggests. It may take a while, but we will certainly get there. But until we do, I'm Ricky. That was Ethan. And this has been Webology. Deuces! Thank you.